0: Today I want to continue our uh, series on Colossians and Christ alone, and I want to talk about the supremacy of Christ from Colossians 1, 15 to 23. The words that are used to describe Jesus, describe who he is. Um, I looked at other people's sermons on this passage, and a lot of people would say incomparable, indescribable, um, you know, supreme, beyond, our compre- beyond words. And Paul attempts to describe who Jesus Christ was and is. He's to Later on, he's going to address the heresies that the Colossians were being tempted by. But he wants to start out with the supremacy of Christ, which makes all of the other, other heresies that are coming up, all the other people that are trying to say, your God is just one of many gods. Your God should fit into this whole thing. Just to say, no, our God is better than anything. He is higher than all. You know, this passage is considered by some of the most uh, famous scholars to be the most important passage about who Christ is in the entire New Testament. Aren't you glad you chose to come today? You got to come for the most important passage on who Christ is. I'm just saying, the big plus right there. In fact, Paul, in this passage, he breaks into a hymn or a poem, okay, because not only is he going to describe who he is, and he uses a lot of theological terms, he wants to get the emotional aspect of it, too. If you break it down, and I'm not somebody who can break down meter and things like that, but a lot of this stuff comes out as poetry in him because he wants to get the feeling behind it, too. The greatness of God, the supremacy of Christ, who he is. You know, there's a lot of people in this world we try to describe as great, whether it's sports people, singers, uh, politicians, uh, craftsmen, you know, all kinds of things like that. But Christ is supreme over all. There is no real true words to describe him. But Paul's going to do his best today to describe the, supre- the supremacy of Christ. And he's going to break it down. And he's going to have three different sections. First he's going to start is that Jesus is supreme over creation. Jesus is supreme over salvation. And what is our response? Because sometimes you can preach a sermon and you can say this is who Christ is. But then, you don't say, well, what does that mean to us? And he breaks that down too. So first of all, he starts out that Christ is supreme over creation. It says in verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. You see, God is invisible. That's the first thing we need to understand. You cannot see God. Is God present today? I, I, I do enjoy when I'm at church sometimes, people say we want to invite God in. Now, we may do invite our hearts to accept God as, where is where he's at, but God is everywhere. God has never left us. He is always with us. He is an invisible God because he is is everywhere. But Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes the whole concept that was said in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the invisible God, by giving us a representation and the reality of God on earth. There's a story of a little boy who was drawing a picture on the floor one day and his mother was working. She walked up to him and asked, what are you drawing? He said, I'm drawing a picture of God. She said, but you can't do that. No one really knows what God looks like. The boy shook his head and said, they will when I get through. So, But you know, the whole concept is is that we need to understand that for the first time, we understand God by seeing Jesus. We understand what he looks like. We understand how he reacts to situations. When Jesus has things thrown in his face, when Jesus literally has things thrown in his face, when he has people abuse him, when he has uh, temptations, things like that, we see God in the flesh. In the Greek mindset, the concept of an image here, it's not saying it's like a picture of God. It is the concept of saying that he is actually God. Not a weak photocopy, but God on display on earth. We understand who God is through Jesus. We see what he has done and we know him. He is revealed to us. Also, he says that he is the firstborn of all creation. This is some sects, such as the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, have said, well, here's proof that he was a created being. That's not what he's saying. It is saying he is the firstborn, which is the Old Testament term, which means preeminent. It means the first. It means the one who is over all of creation. Psalm 89, 27 says, And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. This is the concept from the Old Testament where God gave this title to an exalted king. When you say you are the firstborn, you are saying you are the first one, the one who is over everything. So of all creation, God is, Jesus Christ is over it all God in Jesus Christ. You remember the story of Jacob and Esau? The whole concept of who the who had the birthright? The birthright between the two of them, they'd fight back and forth. They would they would I mean they even fought in the womb over it. Okay? They were pulling each other, grabbing each other, you know, who's going to come up first? And then one sells his birthright for a stew and then he tricks the other one and it's all kinds of things. Why was it so important to get the birthright? Cuz the birthright, that firstborn meant that you had the blessing and you had the rulership over the family. And so here he is saying that Christ is over all of creation. He is over everything. And the reason it is, is if you go into verse 16, it's because for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. And he goes through a whole thing, visible and invisible. Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, everything was created. He was present in the book of Genesis. Christ was there creating everything. Everything that you see outside was created by God. Everyone you see is created by God, and everything you don't see is created by God, whether it's visible or invisible. Things that we discover that we never knew were there, when we discover them, we have to say, praise be to God. One of my favorite things about uh, science is the fact that the first people that were scientists were people that were Christians because they said God has created this ordered universe. And the more we study, the more we look into a pond, and the more we use a microscope, the more we discover all the wonderful things that God has created, all the things that God put in order, all the wonderful things that he has put there. Because that is the image, and that's why people started to do this. And so he was in Genesis creating. When when God said, let us make man in our image, He meant, let us, Christ the Holy Spirit and God the Father, creating us. Every single person, the whole humanity, all of it was created by God. He created the physical and the spiritual realm. Okay? He talks here, he gives a whole list of thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All of those are talking about the spiritual world. Now, we live in the West. And so this is kind of a difficult thing sometimes for us to understand. Um, we either have what I find is we have people that are kind of leftover people from the from the '60s, kind of the hippie thing, kind of doing the we're spiritual and you know whatever, and we're into that. Or we just have kind of a Western mindset. What we can't see in science doesn't exist. Okay, we kind of have both of those, but you know both of those have that, both of those are wrong. There are there's a spiritual powers that exist in this world. All of them exist. There are thrones, authorities. We can't tell exactly who's who in this level, but everything that was created, everything that you may worry about, whether it's demonic powers, whatever, everything had its creation point in Christ. Now, some of these powers have gone wrong. Some of these powers have stepped away from their role, but they were all created by God, which means they are under God which means that God is in control over them, which means God can say, this is what you can do and this is what you can't do. All for the benefit of Christ because it was created through him and for him. In other words, Christ created all these things so that in him and for him, all these things act together for him. And eventually all of it is going to come together for Jesus Christ. All for the benefit of Christ. And that's why we exist we exist to serve Christ. We observe, exist to be reconciled to him. We exist to be part of his great creation. And we look around and we see that things are not the way they're supposed to be. That's not because God created them bad. It's because we decided that we wanted it our own way. We decided at the Garden of Eden, which is one of the great... The, you know, we always talk about the worst decisions ever. Worst decision ever was, hey, this Garden of Eden is perfect. I think we can do better. That was our decision as humans. That was Adam and Eve thinking, we can do better. And guess what? Look around. We didn't. All right? We didn't do better. We didn't do better at all. But that doesn't mean Christ has let go of creation. That doesn't mean it isn't still working for him and through him. That doesn't mean he didn't create the beauty of this world. And that doesn't mean it's not going to come to benefit him. Verse 17 goes on. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is before. He is rank above everything. This is what I think is very important for us to understand, especially when we talk about spiritual authorities. I think one of the things I don't like about, well, I mean, when we come to the Halloween holiday, the biggest thing they always like to show is pastors and priests. And then they show some demonic spirit, and the demonic spirit is always more powerful than the priest. It's always more powerful than God. And I say to myself, Christ is under nothing. There is no demonic power, there is no power in this earth, no angel, demon, whatever that is not underneath the power of Jesus Christ. And so we do not have to walk around worrying, well, there might be a demonic presence over here, there might be this. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And if Christ is in us, Christ is over everything. That is the beauty of this. The world is not only that, all, everything is held together by Christ. There was a there's a doctrine and a, a worldview that kind of was part of our world when the our country was first founded called deism. And what this theory was is it's I can't remember the name of the singer. God is watching us from a distance. No, I can't remember who it is. But there was this famous song, I think it was in the eighties or nineties, and it, it might have been Whitney Houston or somebody like that. And and it was just like, oh, God is watching us from a distance, and we're doing stuff. And ah. and it drove me crazy. I wanted to scream every time I heard it. Because God does not just put the world in order and spin it and say, see you later. Hope things go well for you. Okay? And that's what a lot of people thought in our world. That was the way that they got to separate themselves from morality. They said, well, we don't have to follow God because he's here. God is holding everything together. God himself right now is holding the atoms together. He's holding life together. He keeps things in control. Without Christ in this world, we would lose complete control. And you say the world seems pretty out of control. You remove Christ, the world is out of control. God can do things with this world that can't be done by anything else. He keeps the world from chaos. No creature is autonomous, but instead are servants and dependents of God. He is the rhyme and the reason of all creation. He is everything that makes sense. We do not live in a self-sufficient universe. We don't live in a universe that can handle itself. We live in a world that needs Jesus Christ, that needs him to keep it going. One of the things that's important to understand is whether you believe this or not doesn't make it true. Okay, so some people would say, well, that's your truth. Okay, you want to get me going, talk about your truth and my truth. Um, But the whole thing is, there's not just my truth and your truth, there's the truth, all right? And the truth is that Christ keeps all things in order. The truth is, God decides the images of things. God decides how things work together. God keeps the world the way it's supposed to be. That is the truth. And what we need to understand is is it is a truth that we must accept. And one day it will be acknowledged by everybody. Because Jesus Christ is going to appear again, and Philippians 2, 10-11 famously says this, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now some people have taken this verse and said, look, everybody's going to become a Christian. No, there's going to be a lot of people forced down to their knees that are going to be stubbornly saying, I don't want to accept you, but I have to acknowledge who you are. There's going to be defeated foes that don't want Jesus. But why not accept who he is right now? Why not accept that he's he's for us, that he wants to do great things for us? Because everyone is going to have to acknowledge the fact that Christ is over all creation. To do what is right in creation is to follow after the example of Jesus Christ. Secondly, Christ is supreme in salvation. Not only did he create everything, not only does he keep everything going for us, not only does he keep the world the way it's supposed to be, he is supreme in redemption and salvation of the world. Verse 18 says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. One author put it this way, the image of the invisible God entered the plane of human experience in order to reconcile all things in heaven and on earth by means of his humiliating death. In other words, the invisible God became visible, came to earth, not just to show here I am so you can see me, but to die a humiliating death on the cross to reconcile and bring salvation to creation and to us. He did this for us. The first way that he does this, and this is what's so important. And I talked to so many people around Bemidji and I talked to other people. The, God had one plan for Christians after he left this earth. He had one plan and that was it. And that was the church. Okay, he said, I will establish my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. The church. Now people will say, hey, the church isn't perfect. You're right. Okay, because it's full of us. I hate to be the the big (laughs) bearer of bad news. You know, if we were all perfectly after Christ, then it would be perfect, but we're not there yet. I mean, read read the New Testament. The whole New Testament is about all the problems of the church. But he doesn't say, get out of the church. And I talk to so many people who say, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be part of the church. But what is the first thing he says? He is the head of the body, the church. Jesus Christ gives power and strength and headship. And his whole plan of reconciling the lost and causing Christians to grow is the church of Jesus Christ. He, as we gather together as the church, as other members of the body of Christ gather to together as the church today, our plan is to follow after the headship of Jesus Christ. He gives the church life because without the head, you have no life. Without the head, you do not have no direction. You don't have the thoughts. You don't have this. I, I, I came up with this illustration. The first thing I could think of was a chicken with its head cut off. Okay? And there are churches that are doing that. There are churches that have decided that they don't need Jesus Christ in their church. I've seen examples of it. Well, we don't necessarily want Christ to run everything. We kind of want to do it ourselves. Then you are the proverbial chicken with its head cut off. If you're a person who's never seen that, we've got YouTube now. Just look it up, okay? Watch something flop around with no direction, no anything like that. That's what it is. Because if we don't have our head, we are messed up. If we lose sight of the fact that Jesus Christ is in charge, we're messed up. We lose sight of the fact that every decision that we make in our church, every decision we make as a body of Christ has to have Christ as premier. It cannot be about us. It cannot be about our individual things. It has to be what is going to do for Christ and through Christ for his glory to achieve salvation for our community moving on it says he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent his death is the source of new life for others he is the firstborn from the dead you know what that means firstborn from the dead he is the first one to come back from the dead and stay alive now there were examples in the old testament where some people were uh, raised from the dead okay there's an example in the new testament people were raised from the dead but you cannot interview those people today because they died again. I've always thought about that myself. What was it like for Lazarus? First time he died, he went through the whole thing, and then he gets raised from the dead, and it's like, second time he died, that had to be a strange feeling. I've already done this. Okay, I, I'm sorry, this is the way my mind works. He, where, where is he thinking at this time? He's probably got thoughts for everybody, but you know, the concept is. He is the first born from the dead. He is the first to conquer death. And death is the source of of the worst enemy of Christians. But now it is conquered by Jesus Christ. And because he he is the source of this, he started the age to come, the age of the resurrection. He brought that into the world. The power of the resurrection is now unleashed on the world. I love that term. It is unleashed on the world. The resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. What this means is that Christians who have died in their faith. I've been reading these stories of martyrs that have been killed for their faith. Are not defeated. Because we cannot be defeated because the ultimate enemy, which is death, has been defeated by Jesus Christ. He is the firstborn from the dead. And everything is out of harmony in this world. But Christ has come to be preeminent and bring it all back into shape. And it starts with the church. He has come and He continues to come to put us back in shape. Okay, every Sunday we come to church and then Christ needs to, we need to look at Christ and say, what are we doing wrong? How are we not making you preeminent? How are we not allowing you to be over everything? And when we do this, it's going to start from the church. And you know what our goal is then? Our goal as we leave this building is to take the preeminence of Christ, the firstborn from the dead, the power of the resurrection, to a world that is dying without Christ. It is our job to bring that gospel to others. It says in verse 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All that what God the Father is, is in Christ. Because they are both fully God. If you go back to verse 15, it reiterates this fact that God is in Jesus and Jesus is in God I and the Father are one I and the Father so when you look at Jesus you say I just can't imagine how Jesus, how God would handle this situation you say look at the example of Jesus Christ the fullness of God was in him yet he was he was without sin yet he was tempted many ways yet many powers and forces came against him and he came and through him verse 20 to reconcile to himself all things Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Here's what's going to happen. God created everything in this world. He created everything in Christ. And now he brings the lost home through Christ. He wants to reconcile with us. He wants to reconcile broken relationships that have been broken by the power of sin. You see, sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from Jesus Christ. There must be a penalty paid for the sin that is committed by all of us. And Christ comes into the world that he may reconcile to himself all things. He wants to make it every, everything. The world may be messed up, but God loves it and wants to reconcile it to himself. God does not look at the world and say it's messed up and I just hope they go away. Okay? I hope they stop bothering me. All right? I can imagine God saying that but Jesus Christ coming to the earth with Jesus and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit saying, I am here to fix the mess. I am here because I love what I created. And whatever you are, whatever situation you are, whatever situation your neighbor, your brother, your sister, your father, your mother, your kids, God loves them and God wants to reconcile them to himself. Christ is the reconciler. Christ is the one who wants to bring us back to him. And God's love and mercy towards what he created, he gives a grim reference to what the cost is. First, he says that is by the blood making peace by blood. The blood is the death by violence of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ did not just die. He died violently on the cross for us. His blood was spilled. He didn't just die a natural death or something like that. He died a bloody, horrible death that would not be inflicted. It was, it was outlawed a few years after this because they thought it was the worst way that a person could die. He took that for us. He made the atoning sacrifice for us. He died. His blood was spilled. In the whole Old Testament, it had animals that were sacrificed for our sins. He said, I will let my blood be sacrificed for your sin." You no longer have to hold your own sin. And he took the cross. You know, there's nothing more humiliating than being crucified on a cross. Because the pictures we have of, cro- of Jesus on the cross are not accurate. Because he was naked on that cross. He was being, had things thrown at him on that cross. He was being taunted on that cross. He was being humiliated. It was the worst humiliation that someone could go through at this time. And he took it for us because he said i looked out and i said in bemidji in 2019 i want to reconcile them to me i want to reconcile the people of india and nepal i want to reconcile all these people to me i want to reconcile my creation to me i think it's worth it to die on the cross for you It establishes a whole new relationship between God and humans who have been separated by sin. We are at war. The Bible uses the term that we who are sinners are at war with God. We are fighting against him. But what he does is he lays down the sacrifice so that we can be, as it says here, peace by the blood of the cross. We have peace with God, peace with Christ. We can now be children of God because of what he does for us. So what is it last thing? What is our hope because of the supremacy of Christ? Verse twenty one says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing even evil, evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by the death by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, And of which I, Paul, became a minister. So he's finishing this whole section. And what he wants to say is, your past, your present, and your future can be changed because of Jesus Christ. First of all, in verse 21, he talks about our past. He says, you once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. This is the state of humanity. This is the state of who we are outside of Christ. This is what we are. We are in a hostile to God. Hostile in mind doing evil deeds. The word alienated here means isolated, lonely, and a deep sense of not belonging. We were made to be in communion with God. And when we're not in communion with God, we are not whole. We are alienated. We are outside of who we're supposed to be. We're like a fish out of water. If you watch a fish out of water... That fish is not real happy. Okay, just a quick science experiment. Don't do it with a lot of fish. It's kind of mean. Okay, but you you know, a bird wants to be in the air. A fish wants to be in the water. We want to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to worship something. So we, we put in all kinds of other things to worship. We create all kinds of things we think are going to fill that hole. But we are alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds. One author put it this way, when we are outside of Jesus Christ, when we do not have his reconciling power, we are lackeys for sin. We are lackeys for sin. In other words, sin just gets to move us and play with us and send us on missions. And we're just lackeys. I always think of those lackeys. They're always, you always have the tough guys. They always have some lackeys. Go beat that guy up for me or just do whatever I tell you to do. Go scrub that. You know, basically we're that. The enemy gets to decide what we get to do. And I think to myself, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be lackey for sin. I want to be gloriously restored and reconciled by Jesus Christ because he's reminding him that was your old world doing evil. He says now in the present, verse 22, you have been reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reports before him. You see right now in everybody who has accepted Jesus Christ, the cycle of sin has been broken in your life. The cycle of sin has, has been broken in your life, you need to understand this. You are not under the power of sin anymore. Sin cannot run you like when you were sin lackeys. Does that mean you still don't struggle with sin? Does that mean you still don't? I mean, the Bible does say, and when you sin, you can ask for forgiveness of sin, but you are no longer under control of sin. And we need to start acting like that. Sometimes we think to ourselves, well, I just, that's who I am. I'm a sinner. No. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. He has reconciled you in the his body of the flesh. He has brought you in. He repairs the rupture of relationship caused by sin. He emphasizes the flesh right here. He is in reconciled by his body of flesh, which says that Christ came down, identified as a human in humanity, put himself as a human on the cross. Okay, He did that so he could take the penalty for us. In the flesh, he did that. He took our punishment. Every piece of punishment that Christ took on the cross was for us. Why? To break the cycle of sin. To break us free from being stuck in the hostile world of alienation from God. And the goal is to bring us to a life without sin. Now, arguably, that is a work in progress. It is finalized in heaven. We have final sanctifications called when we get to heaven. Right now, we're in the process of being sanctified. Every day, becoming closer to Christ and further away from our sinful world. But it requires us holding on to God while he works it out in us. In other words, it requires us to say yes to God and no to this world. But Christ is the one who will ultimately do it in our lives. He is the one that can break us free from sin. If he says he's here to reconcile us and he has reconciled us, we need to start living like he has done this. And the future He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. You see, he gives a warning right here. He gives a warning to the Colossian church. Because we've all seen it. We've all seen people that say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to follow after him. I want to be a follower of him. And even Paul gives warnings of people in the New Testament that loved the world more than they loved Jesus. That loved other things that said, I'd rather have this, this sin in my life. I'd rather accept this sin and follow this way than follow Jesus Christ. One author put it this way. It contains a warning. If believers are to be holy with all blemish, free from accusation in the future, they must remain steadfast in the faith in the present. In other words, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Not leaving, if you continue in the faith in Jesus Christ, that he has a plan for you. Keeping your faith with him and not believing the lies of this world. Not believing those that try to keep, pull you astray. Because the rest of Colossians is going to be about people trying to pull the Colossians away from their first love. Trying to pull them away from where they're supposed to be. God is saying, stay on the path with me. Do not look at this world. The world has nothing to offer you that Jesus Christ can't do better and make much greater and not cause the pain in your life that this world wants to cause. And this is the hope that we have and the warning that he gives us. Continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope because God wants to do great things in your life. He wants to give you great joy in your life. He wants to make you a follower of him. He wants to draw you closer to him. And all it requires is us to say yes to God and no to this world. Why don't you stand with me right now? For our prayer ministers to come forward. If you're here today and you heard this message and you say, I've never accepted Jesus Christ or I've never turned my life over to him. You came today, and this may be the first time you've heard this message, that you have to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that he wants to bring you in, and all the wonderful things that he wants to do. The fact that he wants to reconcile you by his death and present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. That Christ wants to do that in you that he wants to reconcile you. He wants to destroy the power of sin in your life, forgive you for your sin, but also come into you and start to make you into the creation that you're supposed to be. There's so many ads I see on, on TV, there, are on, on print or whatever. Be the best person you can be. This product will make you better. This product is going to make... I guarantee following Jesus Christ will make you the best that you can possibly be. Money back guarantee. All right? He is... Is the one who created you. He is the one who knows you. He is the one who came to reconcile. And He is the one who can give you the life and life eternal. So turn your life over to Christ today if you've not done that. Come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. But for everybody else who's here, I want to just emphasize what it says in the end. All the stuff that He brings up, continue in the faith. Don't give up. Don't become discouraged. Don't look out at this world and say, I'm missing something. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel, not saying that there's hope in something else, staying with a God who loves you, a God who cares for you, a God that has a plan for your life, not looking to fall back into sins that had us under their control, that had us hostile to God, but following after Him. And the key is with all of this is the reconciling power of Jesus Christ is what's going to make the difference in our lives. This is not a grin and bear at faith. This is, I have to be better. Oh, I got to do it on my own. Everything's on my own. I think Christians believe that sometimes. It's a saying yes to God and say, God, now do it through me. I'm going to say yes to you. I'm going to do everything you ask me to do. But I realize it's only by your power and your reconciling hope that I have any, any hope in this world. God, come into me. I turn my life over to you. Anything that's in my life, you can help me overcome. You can help me get rid of. And I am open to getting rid of anything that is in my life that is not pleasing to you because I want to be the person you've called me to be. Lord, we pray today. We pray today, God, that if there's anybody here who has not accepted Jesus Christ, that they will. That they will make him the master and savior of their life, God. That Christ who came into this world, who made a blood sacrifice for us, God, who humiliated himself on the cross, He did it all for us, God. He did it all for every single person because he has created every single person, God. The people that we consider just horrible, God, that the world looks at and say, I can't believe that person. God says, I died on the cross for that person. And God, right now, it just comes to me that help us to be the church that doesn't give up on anybody, that brings the gospel to everybody because you haven't given up, because you say you want to reconcile all things to you. All people, heaven and earth, God, v- invisible and all, in- invisible. God, you want to reconcile all things to you. And we just pray right now, God, that you will work in every one of our lives. Help us to become more like you, God, as we accept you. Help us to not be distracted by the things of this world, but to be life-changing people in this world. That you will change our lives, that through us, God, through the church that you have called, that we can be changers of this world. By your power. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now go and connect with one another.